Hello, and welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women, social distancing style. As always, I'm your host, Lauren Evans, and with me is my co-host, Virginia Allen. Welcome, Virginia. Hey, Lauren. So, how's Florida? Florida's amazing. It's warm, and I'm here with my family. I, I just... I know that there's a lot of difficulties going on and, you know, a lot of people are hurting and this situation actually is kind of a blessing for me to get to spend some time with my family like I haven't gotten to in, a, you know, probably like 10 years now. Yeah, no, it's definitely really important, I think, to find those positives and, okay, what are things that we can be doing right now and kind of taking advantage of the situation where we can um, we do want to just acknowledge to our audience that our sound quality might not be as good as normal. We, we are adhering to all of the social distancing precautions that the White House has put out. So Lauren and I are recording from different states. We're incredibly thankful to still be able to do the show and bring you all the news that you need to know. Um, but the quality just might not be quite as good as what we usually get in the studio. <laughs> So Virginia, have you been able to go outside at all? Well, a little. <laughs> so I'm I'm still in Northern Virginia, and uh, the last time I went out out was I went to the grocery store on Saturday uh, and tried to stay six feet away from everyone at all times. Which it was really funny. It's like people kind of like stand at the end of the grocery aisle when you're in it and like wait for you to finish, and then you like <laughs> shuffle out and they come in. And um, and besides that, I've just taken some walks around my block. Um, it is raining today, which is unfortunate. Um, so rainy days are are a little bit harder, but we're making it. But Lauren, I feel like you are living your best life down in Florida. Every time I look at your Instagram, you're either like swimming in your parents' pool or doing push-ups. Can you share a little bit of your your inspiration for how to stay active right now? Yeah, well, I talk a lot on this podcast about how I love to go to Orange Theory, you know, pretty much every day. And um, they're all closed. I mean, even usually when I come and visit my parents for a weekend, there's a studio down the road that I'll go to, but I just, there's no gyms open. So I, I've been trying really hard to keep a schedule like everybody's talking about. I wake up every morning about an hour and 15 minutes before I'm actually supposed to start work. And I do a 30 to 45 minute workout. My parents do have a pool and I'm really lucky to get to use that, even though it's really cold. So I'm swimming and I'm having the time of my life. And my family's actually lives in Florida, looks down at me and they're like, are you crazy? And I'm like, yeah, why? There's a pool. Why wouldn't you be in it? Um, but yeah, like I thought the push-up challenge on Instagram, that's so fun to do. Um, uh, but I've been literally with workouts. I've done everything from running sprints in my parents' yard to going for runs on trails uh, lots of like old school, pretty much jazzercise workouts in my parents' house. Just whatever I can be doing to stay active is, is what I've been trying to do. Yeah, I love how it's like this interesting mix of combining, I feel like, all of these old school things with like our new technology. Like we're using Zoom to like play board games or like yeah. it's just it's kind of funny to see but we do want to remind all of our problematic women to please practice social distancing right now we understand it's it's really hard to be separated from friends to not be able to go out to restaurants and hang out with people but it's so important 
for stopping the spread of this virus. And there's so many creative ways, like Lauren and I have been talking about, that you can still connect with people, whether that's, you know, through Zoom or FaceTime or Google Hangouts. And Netflix has a really cool extension right now called um, Netflix Party that you can watch movies like with a group of people at the same time. And there's like a chat box where you can all talk. So please get creative. Think about those cool ways to stay in touch. Uh, but really, like it's it's up to millennials. It's up to Gen Z. We are the ones that can actually really affect uh, the the future of of our country right now and keep this virus from spreading super rampantly. I do like to see all these families who, in a way, are growing closer. You know, I, I think a lot of people who would talk to their parents or their grandparents or their brothers and sisters maybe once a week are now calling them every day. So it is interesting in crisis how even though we're distancing from one another, we really do need each other more than ever. So if you haven't today, call your grandma, call your grandpa, call your friend who's home alone, really just put an effort towards keeping these relationships and really holding them dear. And, and I, I love that, Virginia, you played board games over Zoom or Google Hangouts. That's awesome. I did. My sister and brother-in-law and I, we all, um, we figured out a way to play Clue over Zoom, which was a little challenging. And I will say, if you don't trust the people that you're playing with, it would be very easy to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if if you're playing with trustworthy people and you both have a board game set, it is possible. And it was actually a lot of fun. And I won the second game. So I was pretty proud of myself for that. <laughs> That's awesome. And I think just one other quick tip, make sure you're washing your hands. Even if you're home quarantined and you go out to the mailbox or go for a walk, just make sure you're washing your hands after all of those activities and try your hardest from touching your face. This is something that I really struggled with when I was about to read the script earlier. I was touching my face when I was reading this and I was like, oh my gosh. But these little things really drastically help stopping the spread of the virus. Yeah, for sure. We are going to be talking about our new normal today and living during a global pandemic, but we will be doing it in our typical problematic women fashion, bringing you the news conservative women need to know. Lauren, what's on deck for today? Up on today's problematic women, we will be talking about how the coronavirus may be a travesty for feminism, how young people are finding creative ways to date during the pandemic, whether or not it's safe to have sex right now. Some states are calling for all non-essential medical procedures, including abortions, to stop during coronavirus. We talk with our colleague and mom of four about working from home. And we crown a very special Problematic Woman of the Week. All right, let's get to it. The Atlantic's Helen Lewis recently published a piece titled, The Coronavirus is a Disaster for Feminism. She writes in the piece that one of the most striking effects of the coronavirus will be to send many couples back to the 1950s. Across the world, women's independence will be a silent victim of the pandemic. Lewis voices a few central concerns, one being that women will be forced to return to the role of homemaker with children home from school and older parents in need of greater care during the coronavirus, and two, if push comes to shove and families cannot find safe and reliable childcare for their children, dual earning households may be forced to give up one income, and this most commonly will mean the wife's. Lewis says, look around and you will see couples already making tough decisions on how to divide up this extra unpaid labor. Dual income couples might suddenly find themselves living like their grandparents, 
one homemaker and the other breadwinner. She continues saying, at an individual level, the choices of many couples over the next few months will make perfect economic sense. What do pandemic patients need? Looking after. What do self-isolating older people need? Looking after. What do children kept home from school need? Looking after. All this looking after, this unpaid caring labor, will fall more heavily on women because of the existing structure of the workforce. All right, so Lauren, let's start with the obvious question. Is Lewis right that a lot of the childcare and really those domestic duties will fall on women during the coronavirus pandemic? I mean, that's kind of an assumption there. I think women are just doers, and when they see something that needs to get done, they'll just go in. But I don't think necessarily in all relationships, women just will take up all these duties. I think in a lot of healthy marriages, women and men will have discussions on, you know, I have really important meetings from nine to noon. If you could watch the kids at that point, and then from noon to three, you can focus on your work. Uh, There's just lots of really healthy ways to be dealing with this and what needs to be done. I know with my parents, um, my mother is a teacher, so she is working from home. Uh, But my father, he works um, in a plant that processes food, which is really important. So he is able to work from home. And it really kills him that he has to be the one that goes out. And then he comes home and he risks infecting us. So sometimes women might pick up more responsibilities in the household, but men are putting themselves at risk just to make sure that they're keeping an income. Yeah. And I, I like to think that, you know, we, we have made progress over the years. And in general, when I look at, you know, the families um, that I'm close with in my own life, whether, you know, at church or uh, in my community, I feel like they are just doing a much better job of tag teaming in life in general, of, of, you know, helping with duties with kids and shopping and all of that. Um, so I, I think we shouldn't be too fast to say, yeah, this is going to, to really set women back. Cause I think, I think over the past, you know, 10, 20, 50 years, families have started to learn like, okay, we, we can share these roles and there are practical ways that we can do that. Um, but I do want to just zoom out and look kind of at the big picture. Lauren, I know that you identify as a feminist. What does being a feminist mean to you? Feminist to me is really embracing being a woman and the understanding that women and men have inherent dignity under the law, under God, and in society. And that doesn't mean that they're identical and their roles should be identical. It just means that being a man doesn't make you any better than being a woman or vice versa. Being a woman doesn't make you any better than if you were a man. So do you think that you can, you know, be taking care of your children and looking after your aging parents and maybe doing the grocery shopping and still be a feminist? We were just talking about blessings that we can find out of this crisis and pandemic. And I understand it must be very difficult to have to work from home and have children. But a lot of women are looking at this as an opportunity to spend more time with their kids and be together with their family. And they're not commuting or commuting to or from sports practices and and clubs for their kids. Their families can really be together and, and just be one unit and focus on their relationships So, yeah, I think it's very possible that you can take care of your children and still be a feminist and and still kind of love that you get more time to be a mom and and get to work from home. Yeah, no, I I love that. I think so much of this truly comes down 
to perspective. Are are we going to look at this as, okay, everything's falling apart or, okay, there are challenges in front of me. There's maybe financial hardships that I'm going to have to work to overcome. But the positive is I get to spend more time with my family or with my spouse or, um, you know, just with people in my life that usually I'm just kind of like saying hi to for maybe, you know, just an hour or two at night. So thanks, Lauren. I think that's a good perspective. All right, Virginia, on to our next topic. Have you gone on any dates lately? You know, I I can't say I have it, but I don't I don't know that I can blame coronavirus for this. <laughs> it's my day. You know life. what? You know, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily happened before <laughs> before a global pandemic, but it's definitely very dead right now. <laughs> At least we have an excuse, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's totally the fault of to- coronavirus. Totally. <laughs> well, young people are still trying to figure out how to date during coronavirus. And some are asking if it's still safe to have sex. But let's start with the dating question. Is it possible to maintain any sort of dating life during the coronavirus? The Los Angeles Times reported on the current dating situation with stories from a few different people who've been relying on apps like Bumble, Tinder, and Coffee Meets Bagel. Bumble user Caitlin Frazier, age 20, recently went on a first date over FaceTime and told the LA Times, quote, a lot of people worry about a kiss at the end of the first date. Like, how does that work? So it kind of felt good that I didn't have to be nervous over that. Many dating apps are encouraging users to take similar actions like Frasers and to eat dinner together over a video call. So before we read any of this, Virginia, were you concerned about your dating life and did you think about it at all? So I actually am taking (laughs) kind of an opposite approach to this. Um, We've talked about on this podcast just frustrations with kind of um, the the state of uh, men <laughs> right now and and overall I would say the the dating scene um, among millennials uh, and especially I would say kind of it can feel a little bit harder in Christian circles um, so I'm optimistic that men are gonna come out of this with like a new drive and passion and realizing that they don't want to spend their whole lives alone and ready for commitment. Uh, so I'm, I'm optimistic. We'll see if I'm right, but I really hope I am. <laughs> well, I love this. I mean, I think Ashley Frazier said it best. Like when you're just video chatting, there's no social pressures about, you know, it gets the end of the night or, you know, is this guy going to ask me to go home with him? It's just you and them talking and, and really taking all the pressure out. And so I, I do think, again, going to the unintended blessings that are happening, you know, people are still connecting, people are still looking for love and, and trying to make meaningful connections and, and they're doing over a video call. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's almost added um, encouragement to people, I think, just to actually be getting out there. And I think for people that maybe have a tendency to, to isolate more, it's kind of a wake up call of, oh, wow, I, I do really need connection in my life and I need to be intentional about, about connecting with others. All right. Our next topic is going to be sex and dating. We will get slightly explicit as we're talking through some of this. So if you have any young children, you might want to turn this off and turn it on at a later time. Well, we can't talk about dating without talking about sex. And a lot of young people are worried about, you know, how is it still safe to have sex during this crisis? Well, of course, the New York City government 
released a document with guidelines on how to have safe sex during COVID-19. The tips included, quote, you are your safest sex partner. Masturbation will not spread COVID-19, especially if you wash your hands and any sex toys with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before and after sex. The next safest partner is someone that you live with. Having close contact, including sex, with only a small circle of people helps prevent spreading COVID-19. Some magazines like Slate have been fielding readers' questions on the subject with one anonymous individual writing in last week to ask, Quote, I recently got out of a relatively short but very intense and stressful relationship. It got serious very quickly and ended just as quickly, and dating and having sex again without all the fuss has been a godsend. But as I'm about to go out with the third guy of this week with the full intention of making out with him and probably more, I'm wondering if I'm part of the problem in terms of spreading the virus and burdening our healthcare system capacity. It's better than going to a party, I'd say, and it's a great stress management. What do you think? Virginia, I don't even know where we start with this. <laughs> like, just stay home. It's We are called to stay at home and watch Netflix. I, I don't understand why. Yeah. Just, yeah, you know, no. Like, I, I think, like, okay, we, we're all making sacrifices right now. Um, and if your greatest sacrifice is that you can't have sex right now, you're going to get through it. It's going to be okay. Um, and it truly, like, it's truly what we keep on hearing from healthcare professionals is it really is up to the younger generation to keep this thing from spreading further. And you might say, well, I'm healthy. It doesn't really matter what I do. Uh, but just because if you don't care if you get sick, you're going to get other people sick if you get sick, whether that's, you know, your parents who you live with. Or, you know, when you go to the grocery store and, you know, touch the shelf that then the older man comes and touches, like, this thing spreads like crazy. So it's, it really truly is our responsibility to use self-control and stay home. Anyone writing to Slate to ask this question, just use common sense. If you can't leave your house, you probably shouldn't be having sex with multiple partners right now. So yeah. Virginia, a lot of what we pulled was from a document straight from the New York City government where, you know, they're having the worst problem with the virus right now. What do you think about the New York City government releasing official guidelines for sex during this crisis? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting for the government to be releasing this. Um, I I feel like there's a tension here because I think they understand they're not going to be able to control everyone and people do what they want to do. And, you know, we can say over and over and over, stay home, don't go out, but you just simply can't control everyone. Um, so I think in that sense, you know, they sort of decided like, okay, we need to release some guidelines, give some advice here. Um, and I will say, I think this was released probably about a week ago before, you know, things got crazy locked down. So I don't know, they might, you know, they might take a different stance now, but I again, I feel like, you know, really the only advice the government should be giving right now is stay home. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, these are these are things you can do at home. But it is so, uh, yeah, just not helpful to our own health and to the health of the people around us if we keep on going out. Well, we just want to remind you again, this just underlines the need for social distancing so just make sure you're staying with your family unit, whether that's a small group of friends or your own family. You're staying together. 
you're keeping a six foot distance when you're outside and you're just making smart decisions to stay safe. Well, the coronavirus is also sparking a lot of debate around abortion. Dr. Dustin Kotescu, an associate professor at McMaster University, tweeted, hashtag COVID-2019 is a good time to remind you that self-managed abortion is safe, avoids in-person appointments, and will be necessary to address the increased incidence in unintended pregnancies that will result from self-quarantine. Dr. Kotescu's tweet comes at a time when many abortion clinics are being asked to close their doors amidst the coronavirus pandemic. Ohio has declared all non-essential medical procedures to include abortions be placed on hold right now in an effort to reserve all personal protective equipment, such as masks, gloves, and gowns, be reserved for medical personnel serving coronavirus patients. The Ohio order describes essential procedures as those that must be performed due to a threat to a patient's life, threat to a permanent dysfunction, or risk a rapid or worsening to severe symptoms. Abortion providers claim that abortion fits within these guidelines, and it's unclear whether or not they will actually abide by the Ohio rule. Texas made a similar rule, but with a lot more clarity. On Monday, Attorney General Ken Paxton said, quote, We must work together as Texans to stop the spread of COVID-19 and ensure that our healthcare professionals and facilities have all the resources they need to fight the virus at this time. No one is exempt from Governor Greg Abbott's executive order on medically unnecessary surgeries and procedures, including abortion providers. Those who violate the governor's orders will be met with the full force of the law. Both Washington State and Massachusetts have issued formal statements declaring that abortions will remain an essential service during the coronavirus pandemic. So, wow, Lauren, there's a lot to unpack here. Let's start by talking about Ohio. It looks like Ohio abortion providers may simply ignore the call to cease abortions. That means the protective equipment, such as gloves and masks, that should be being used to protect uh, you know, those that have coronavirus or uh, medical workers that uh, are, are helping to serve those people that have coronavirus will instead be being used to perform abortions. Uh, what do you think of this? There's so many other surgical procedures that are elective, but are very important that people are putting aside so they can make sure that our doctors are really fighting coronavirus and using the resources to fight coronavirus. I think this is not a good decision. I think it's it shows really what the abortion industry is about. They're, they want to make the money and they know if they stop doing abortions, that they stop their income. But those resources should be going to saving lives and not taking away lives. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it just kind of undergirds and confirms the fact that you even have states that, you know, are saying abortions aren't necessary. And, you know, when push comes to shove, you're a healthy woman, you have a healthy baby growing inside of you. We need to take this medical equipment and use it for people whose actual lives are at risk. But the answer that so many abortion facilities are really giving to this situation is what Dr. Kotescu said in the tweet, which was, okay, you can take a pill, you can actually do a self-managed abortion instead. 
Uh, Lauren, can you explain a little bit about what a self-managed abortion is? Yeah, that is an abortion that you do outside of a clinic. And I did some research on a, uh, I found this information on a pro-abortion website. Reproaction? Yeah, reproaction. <laughs> we'll go. Um, but I mean, these people are really pushing for abortion. Um, but they say that you can take misoprostol and you take 12 tablets. Um, you take four at a time. You let them dissolve under your tongue for 30 minutes. Uh, so you take 12 tablets, four at a time. Every three hours, it takes 12 hours. Um, and this does not sound like a pleasurable or, or it sounds like a really terrible thing for your body to go through. You know that it's working when you get cramps, menstrual bleeding, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. Um, you can get complications that you have to go to the hospital for. And even on this website, it tells you that it's really not, it's a gray area legally when you take these pills. And it, it says that if you go to the hospital with complications, don't tell the doctor that you took this um, because you're literally taking it. You're, you're committing a crime by killing a baby inside your body. And, and they're telling women to hide that fact and, and not tell their doctors, which is, it, it, it's crazy. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it when I read it. Yeah, that is, that's wild that they're saying you need to keep this a secret. So it sounds, it sounds like it's very far from being sort of the safe and simple solution that people like Dr. Kotescu is, is really advocating for. Yeah. I mean, if you remember on, on plan, she uses uh, pills to get an abortion in that movie and, and that scene, it just really sits with you that they, they sent her away saying, oh, yeah, you might have some slight cramping and she's literally on the bathroom floor and in pain for, for two days of, and her body is just, um, you know, intense bleeding, intense cramping. And to tell women that, that they can just do this on their own, um, I, I don't think is responsible and it's just not the right way to be handling this. I agree. Well, and I, I was a little surprised and um, just fascinated to see that we have a, a male college professor who's telling women that, you know, this is fine, this is safe. Um, and I think that's so often uh, a complaint that we see from um, <laughs> abortion advocates that, you know, it's my body, my choice. And if you're a man, you have no right to say anything regarding this. Um, so it's it's just interesting to see who is actually advocating and, and pushing this message forward. And I think a major message of what we're doing as a society when we are social distancing and staying inside is that we are telling every life that they, it is precious, right? I watched Governor Cuomo on his daily briefings and he says, you know, every life is precious. And I agree with him completely. And it's the unborn. It's the same. So we need to be do, taking the same precautions that we are for the elderly, for the unborn, and making sure that these women have access to healthy prenatal care and not ending the, these pregnancies. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I mean, I think in the same way that um, we saw after World War II, there was the baby boomers and so many children were born. Um, and that was looked at as a blessing that after crisis, so many kids came into the world. And it's certainly possible that after coronavirus, we'll see a similar boom. Um, and we, we need to approach that as that that's not an issue. That's not a problem more kids in our lives is a blessing. 
Well, Virginia, that is such a good place to take a break. When we're back, I interview Maria Sousa, good friend of the show, good friend of ours, about what it's like to be working from home with four kids. Stay tuned. We know that everyone's highest priority right now is staying healthy through the coronavirus pandemic. And our priority at The Daily Signal is making sure you have the information you need to stay healthy. Here is Dr. Deborah Burks, head of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, explaining who should be tested for COVID-19. So right now, as we're rolling out testing across America into these high-speed testing laboratories that can get diagnoses back quickly, we're asking all of you to prioritize those in the risk groups to be tested and those first responders and our healthcare delivery workers who really need to know whether they're positive or not. As we get everyone tested that really needs it for a diagnosis because they're so ill, we can move on to those who are less sick. Welcome back today. We have a real treat for you. I have Maria Sousa on the line. She is at home with her children. Maria is a friend of the show. You've if you've listened to Problematic Women, you might have heard her interview before, but she's the digital director here at the Heritage Foundation and just a good friend. So welcome, Maria. Thanks, Lauren. So Maria, for those who don't know, you have four kids. Um, they usually are at school while you're at Heritage, but now with all this coronavirus craze, they are at home with you and your husband. Can you walk us through what a normal day looks like now with four kids at home and you and your husband working from home? Sure. So I think we're still figuring out our new normal. Um, We are blessed that we have um, house and space for everybody to be set up for work. Um, I do wish we had a separate office sometimes just to close the door. Uh, So I apologize in advance if you hear them in the background. Um, I'm also grateful that we have a house with a yard and that the sun has come out. I've sent them outside. Um, So that's playing a huge a huge, huge part in um, our sanity and theirs, uh, being able to get outside and run around. And I'm grateful they have each other. Um, I know that that's a really big win for us, just seeing them play together. Obviously, they're siblings, so it's not always um, rainbows and butterflies. (laughs) But I mean, from a day-to-day perspective, we are trying to, and I say trying to because We haven't quite mastered it yet. We're trying to set the day like we would, though we have a little bit more time to sleep in without commuting, but getting them up, getting them dressed, having them eat breakfast. We do the same thing for ourselves. I was laughing today. My husband has a bunch of conference calls and he put on a tie, I think just to to get in that the mindset and the mood. And it was actually brought some levity to his to his conference call. Um, but for me I've been getting up doing my makeup, getting, um, you know, ready to have face-to-face time with my team um, and with our staff at Heritage out of the office, really just to bring the human element to what we're doing and remember that um, we're all in this together. Everybody's figuring it out and everybody's balancing. And then actually right at the top of the day, so the beginning of the work day at that nine o'clock time, my husband and I both try to get on our computers a little bit early, make sure that we're kind of checked in and we know what our day is going to look like. And then we have to get the kids set up. So they all have um, home learning, distance learning with their classes a few times a day for some of them, more for the older the older one, you know, the middle schooler, all the way down to a kindergartner. 
Um, so we've got a lot of different levels of learning. And then we have lunch, usually all together. And then we do the same thing in the afternoon, making sure that all their, their work is turned in and um, we're still getting back to our meetings and our time with our staff. But it's been really tricky. I think I'm very lucky that they're old enough to entertain themselves and do their work for the most part. But we were joking. I mean, I think between our own jobs, getting that done and being tech support for them, being, you know, moral support for them as a teacher would, right, encouraging them to do their work and kind of interpreting the changes um, that they're going through for them. Um, and we're home, so no one's really going anywhere. We try to take a walk or we try to go outside together and play outside um, in the evenings after the work day and the school day is done um, and have meals together. So we're trying to create a semblance of normal, but it's all it's all really new that we're home. It's like an extended weekend, but everybody has work to do. So, yeah. Yeah, I found, like, that Monday is so weird because, like, it's literally the same as Sunday was, but now you have to, like, wake up and work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I had to wake up the five-year-old this morning um, because her first kind of touch point with her teacher is a nine o'clock Zoom call with, with our class. So um, we had to get her up because um, she was she was enjoying the overcast day and sleeping in like she did when she was a baby. So. so, Maria, how do you get your work done with them in the house? Do you have some hours where you're like, kids, I'm sorry, mom can't be tech support? Or do you and your husband kind of take turns helping them? So it's great if they can also help each other. I think when I'm in the room, the default is, Mom, can you help me? Just like with anything else in, in life, I'm the first the first call for them. But um, I, we've set ourselves up so that they're actually, the three younger ones are in kind of in different parts of our dining room and our sitting room area with their own desks and their own little laptops or Kindle devices um, to jump on with their classes and do their work. And so they all have um, their space. And so I also then have my space. I'm in a separate, I'm a kind of across the house in my living room where I've been set up. Um, so if I'm on the call, they can tell I've got my headphones on. I'm in front of my computer. Um, I'm not usually talking or conducting a meeting. And so for example, right now I actually went upstairs in my house just so that I wasn't too close to, um, the craziness and the action downstairs. Um, but I, I send them outside or I send them downstairs if there's something really important that I need to be involved in, um, especially if I need to be face-to-face -face, um, for a meeting or with my team. And I have a lot of those throughout the day. Um, so, um, you know, I, again, I think we're figuring it out. I think they're taking cues from me. I can kind of look up for my computer and tell them to wait a minute. Um, and honestly, I'm, I pull out my computer later in the evenings once everybody's settled and in bed. Um, and I also, you know, earlier in the morning, we'll check and make sure there isn't anything that I'm missing. Um, I'm grateful that I have always had a job that I can do from a computer. Um, and that, um, you know, really has kind of, um, extended during this time into being able to still do our jobs, um, and still have face to face with the technology that we have, um, but be able to continue all the great work that we're doing. Yeah. So most people don't have six laptops around their house. And, and I don't think anybody's internet is set up to handle six 
web conferences going on at once. How are you handling having enough devices that your kids are able to get their work done? Uh, and also, how's your internet holding up? So I hope it's holding up well because I, I want to make sure that this this interview goes really well. Um, <laughs> I think there have been points in time um, in the mornings, especially where we've seen a little bit of a, a slow or a dip or someone has gotten a warning that the signal strength isn't that that high. Um, luckily, we have a couple old devices. That's also part of the problem um, with connection, but um, that we're able to keep um, out for the kids. Um, my husband and I both have our our equipment from work, which is great. We both have our laptops from the office um, here at home. And my oldest, actually, her in middle school, when she started middle school, she was given a Chromebook through the school. And so all of her work is done um, and turned in most of it when, um, especially now, all of it is through a digital platform. So Google Classroom um, is the tool that they use as a school. And so she actually has a Chromebook that she would take to and from school. So um, she has her own device. And then we're um, just kind of figuring it out for the little kids. There's a couple older um, laptops that we just happen to have around the house, luckily. And um, we have a Kindle Fire that they're able to use. A lot of what they're doing is Zoom calls with their class so they can have face-to-face time with their teachers. A lesson can be given. And then they jump on. Um, later to review the lesson and then turn in any work through an app called Seesaw. So the teacher can assign something that they have to do or read or review, and then they can respond. And they respond back with a photo or a video or a drawing um, of what they're working on. And so um, luckily we can do that through something like a Kindle um, or a phone or something like that. So we've been able to manage it. Um, I... I'm grateful that we have additional devices, devices excuse me, um, but I, I know that the internet speed right before this call was really low, so we kind of did a hard reset on our equipment, which we haven't done over the course of the last um, couple of weeks, um, so I'm hoping it holds up. I think um, we were remembering back to when we had it installed, and I remember him saying something like, um, how many devices do you typically, you know have going at once. And in my brain, I'm thinking one TV at a time, right? Because we're typically not <laughs> home. Um, but he said, oh, you could run up to seven devices on the, you know, so thinking back to that, I'm glad, glad that, that we, we ended up with it. It was a great deal when we moved into our house. And so it's serving us well. Um, and I hope that, I hope we're able to keep it up. So last week you sent me the most adorable photo. I mean, your daughter, yeah. youngest daughter is just adorable to begin with, but she was sitting on the computer with all the other little uh, kids on a conference call. What has online schooling been like for the little ones? I think it brings them some, like a, re- a good reality check in a couple of ways. I think it offers them the opportunity to see their friends and they see, it's funny, one of the things they, they, the first day they were commenting on was each other's houses, right? Like, oh, you know, I see you have blue walls and you're sitting on your couch with your mom. And so I think it's been interesting to see them interact with one another. They see each other's faces um, and they all, you know, they all jump on right away, right before class starts. They're not muted. And um, mine typically have to wear head- headphones because there's other people in the room. 
but you can see and you can hear them interacting with their friends saying, hi, so-and-so, and hi, so-and-so, and I like your dress. And so um, I think it helps them um, to remember their classmates and see their faces. Um, and I think it's really helpful um, that they're able to, I, I don't know, kind of learn this skill, right, of, le of listening to, I remember the first time I ever had anything like that was probably as an adult doing a webinar, a training that someone was not in the room with me, they were on the computer, um, and you're able to interact, you know, digitally raise your hand, ask a question, um, and so really that's that's what the kids are doing, they're, they're getting a lesson very short, I mean, max 30 minutes um, of sitting in front of their screen, listening to their teacher, but it's interactive. Um, they've been doing their, I think the photo I sent you is their morning meeting, so just like they would do in their classroom. They talk about the work that they're going to be doing for the day. They talk about their structure for the day, um, the lessons that they're learning. Um, they review anything from the day before. The teacher talks about any work they have to turn in or any things that they're going to be assigning them. And then they get up and they, they move together. They do like a movement break and stretching. Um, and then they talk about the weather like they would in the classroom. So I think it helps them to connect it back to school, that this is this is their new reality of what school looks like, um, hopefully very temporary. Um, but it does give them an opportunity to interact with their classmates. Yeah, it seems like states and uh, keep pushing back the date that kids are going to go back to school. The state of Virginia announced that they're going to be online for the rest of the year. Do you think being online has affected their overall education? I would say probably there's going to be a little bit of a lag in terms of, um, you know, in a classroom setting, there's so much continuity to what you're learning. I think my kids, so my kids learn in two languages, and so they alternate days with their language classes and their their normal um, English talk classes, but the the lesson um, continues in one from one language to the next. Um, so I think school in in its true form in the classroom, there's so much more continuity that the teacher can create, right? Because the teacher can gauge how the kids are understanding and what it is that they're learning and where they're at with the lesson and and their learning. Um, but I do think that. Uh, there's an opportunity. Um, I'm so grateful that our our schools were really set up really really quickly um, for this distance learning. I have a lot of friends that I've heard from who are still waiting um, from for instruction from their schools, which you know everybody is moving at their own pace. But um, the structure that we've been able to create, though still hectic and crazy, um, that they've got some sort of a structure different from actual classroom learning, but, um, you know, for the time that we're, we're living through, giving them some structure, giving them some normalcy that they can relate to. Um, I can look at their list and I can say, this is the math assignment for the week. What have you turned in? What have you heard from your teachers? And so, I, I you know, I, I think there will probably be some knowledge loss in terms of, you know, kind of thinking through, not as bad as a summer, right, two or three months mm -hmm. off from schooling, but, but definitely a little bit of a delay. But I think that the, the software and the tools um, that our schools are using um, is really giving them, I would say, a leg up on um, keeping children engaged and learning and just continuing that. We really only had one day where we didn't have 
plans and assigned instruction. And so I think that hopefully we're, we're ahead of that um, in terms of them continuing um, their study and their, and their learning. Well, Maria, thank you so much for joining us and giving us a little glimpse into your crazy homeschooling life. Sure, absolutely. I, I'm happy to jump on again once we kind of figure it out and give some more tips. Love it. Well, we can't wait to talk to you then. Thanks, Lauren. Looking for a short morning podcast to give you the news of the day without liberal bias? The Daily Signal podcast is a rundown of the top stories you need to know that the mainstream media is probably ignoring. Okay, it is now my favorite time of the week. Time to crown our problematic woman of the week. Like a lot of people in this country, we have been glued to the daily briefings hosted by President Trump in the Coronavirus Task Force. However, in those briefings, only one woman has stuck out to us, and that woman is this week's Problematic Woman of the Week. Virginia, can you take a guess? Well, <laughs> her name is right in front of me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, well. I'm cheating. <laughs> but she well. is well deserving of being the Problematic Woman of the week. She is the one and only Dr. Deborah Burks. I think the New York Post put it best in this article that they wrote, headlined, Deborah Burks is the maternal fashion icon America needs right now. In the article, they say she was the chic, but not too chic, maternal presence I didn't realize we needed until she appeared. Her name, Dr. Deborah Burks. She is the response coordinator in the fight against the frightening virus and by now a familiar face. And although she looks like a walking hug, she has the type of stacked monster resume that would make her the number one overall pick in any draft. I just love that so much. Yeah, that's so well said. And it's She's so like a true. walking hug. Yeah. So what is in her resume? Uh, I spent a while, Virginia, yesterday reading her resume and just really trying to summarize it for the show. And after like 15 minutes, I just gave up and I'm going to read the whole thing because it's just it's amazing. In 1985, Ambassador Burks began her career with the Department of Defense as a military-trained clinician in immunology, focusing on HIV-AIDS vaccine research. From 1985 to 1989, she served as an assistant chief of staff for the Hospital Immunology Service at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. Through her professionalism and leadership in the field, she progressed to serve as the director of the U.S. Military HIV Research Program at the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research from 1996 to 2005. Ambassador Burks helped lead one of the most influential HIV vaccine trials in history, known as RV144 or the TIE trial, which provided the first supporting evidence of any vaccine's potential effectiveness in preventing HIV infection. During this time, she also rose to the rank of colonel, bringing together the Navy, Army, Air Force, in a new model of cooperation, increasing the efficiency and effectiveness of the U.S. military's HIV-AIDS efforts through inter- and intra-agency collaboration. Then known as Colonel Burke, she was awarded two prestigious U.S. Meritus Service Medals and the Legion of Merit Award for her groundbreaking research, leadership, and management skills during her tenure at the DOD. And then in 2014, under the Obama administration, she was confirmed by the Senate as the United States Global AIDS Coordinator in a role that she described as Quote, the ambassador to help meet the HIV prevention and treatment targets set by Obama in 2015 to end the AIDS epidemic by 2030. According to the Wall Street Journal, Dr. Burks was actually leading an AIDS conference in South Africa when she was asked to become a member of the task force. Virginia, I mean, this wow. is just... 
<laughs> you just kind of read that and you're like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. You know, she could go by Dr. Burks, Colonel Burks. I mean, but then, yeah, she wears the kerchief. She wears just these really beautiful dresses out there. And I think there's probably a big temptation while standing up with mostly men. There's been a couple other women up there, you know, to dress really somber, maybe a pantsuit or a skirt suit. But she's always professional, but just really well-dressed. And I think it's stood out to everyone. So, Virginia, what do you think of her style choices? Yeah, no, I, I remember the first time that she was on stage with the president. And I was like, wait, who's that lady in the back with the cool jacket? Um, and really, it it is striking. And I, I love the fact that she is still being super classy and stylish, uh, even in the midst of all of this craziness. And I'm sure she's getting very little sleep right now. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think it, it's nice and it's kind of refreshing to, to see someone uh, with such great style up on the stage among, you know, um, the president and the vice president and uh, so many other people that are really working hard around this virus. But, you know, beyond just her fantastic sense of style, I I agree, like what you said, like she really is uh, almost like this warm hug right now that she's able to to bring both Republicans and Democrats together. She's trusted and respected on both sides of the aisle. She has a lot of wisdom. She has a very even temperament watching interviews with her. She's a master of interviews of answering questions well uh, and in a way that represents the medical profession very well, but that is also very, very respectful uh, to working with President Trump and trying to uh, kind of find this this balance as they are in a really hard place right now of balancing, you know, the kind of the medical side of things and also the economic side of things. So all around, very, very classy woman. And we are incredibly thankful and indebted to her for all the work that she's doing. To end this segment, I want to play a clip via The Guardian of Dr. Birx and President Trump from a coronavirus task force briefing where Dr. Birx shows folks how to handle yourself if you become ill, but her and President Trump have a little fun with it. Listen here. I think this is the part that we really need to take personal responsibility for. Saturday, I had a little low-grade fever. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, actually, probably a GI thing. But, you know, I'm meticulous. I'm a physician. I looked it up. I ended up piggy banking. I'm from Walter Reed, so I got a test late Saturday night, and I'm negative. I stayed home another day just to, <laughs> just, that. Yeah, just to make sure. That's how we protect one another. That is what America needs right now. All right, well, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition of Problematic Women, social distancing style. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're inside. You have the time. Do it. (laughs) And be sure to tweet at The Daily Signal using the hashtag Problematic Women to share the creative ways that you're managing to connect and still build community with your friends and family right now. Have a great week. Wash your hands, social distance, but make sure you keep up those connections. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Kelsey Bowler, Lauren Evans, and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.